So today we're talking about the church, and we're talking about the church because as you exist as a Christian and leave from here and go from here and do all of your life, you represent the church. That means that when you are on and good deeds are flowing out of you like perfection, you represent the church. And when you did that thing last week to the person that you don't really like, but you don't think anybody else knew, you represent the church. And for all of us, the good news in that is that Jesus doesn't love the church for what it does. Jesus loves the church for who it is. Jesus doesn't love the church for what it does. Jesus loves the church for who it is. And Jesus realizes that that is a bunch of humans, humans that are sinful, humans that are on their own, completely separated from God, so much so that God had to take on human form, become Jesus, live his life perfectly on earth to give his sinless life for our sinful lives to make us acceptable to God. That is the people that make up the church, people who are so broken on their own that Jesus himself had to come to bring us back to God. God realizes that. God knows that for every one of us who make up the church, which is his gathered people on earth, there's going to be some, there's going to be some brokenness. There's going to be some things in the world that don't go right. But the way that God looks at us isn't expecting perfection. It's knowing that we're broken and say, in that brokenness that we gather in as a church, God's going to work. And the, the best way to understand this and, and kind of give, give a practical example to it is one of the ways that God refers to the church in the Bible is he calls the church his bride. Okay, that means that God has affection for the church, that God has a longingness for the church, that God is attracted to the church, completely understanding that that bride has flaws. All right, we're gonna rewind the clock tons of years. I've been with my wife for 16 years. We've been married for 14 years. And in like month two, uh, we were at a group at church and that was focused on young marrieds. And so they got to like work through all the weeds and everything that we bring in to the relationship to try to like say, okay, here's how you live good and get married good. Uh, and, and they gave us assignment. Uh, you had to tell your spouse one thing. Can't be big. It has to be like doable. Give your spouse one thing that they can do this week that you'll really appreciate. And so I mustered up the courage. Okay, I'm actually going to tell Anna one thing. One thing that I would like for you to do is I'd like for you to pick up your shoes just, just a little bit more often than you do. Doesn't have to be perfect, but just a little bit more often. Because one thing about her, she has a decent amount of shoes for a woman, and they are all like everywhere in the house, all right? This was 14 years ago. Very little has changed. I asked her to do this in the way that the Lord repaid me. Two daughters. So now I have three people's worth of shoes all over the house. The only difference between them is the sizes. So I know who's responsible. When the girls get older and they're all the same size, pray for me and Micah. We're just going to move outside. Uh, that will probably be the best thing for us. But I don't love her because of how clean she keeps her shoes and how like they all go in the little boxes and stuff that I've built for the shoes to go that is mostly uninhabited. That's not it. I love her for who she is. She also doesn't love me for my ability to do stuff. She loves me for who I am. In our house, has a thing called pulling a ken. What's pulling a ken? Uh, it's when you're sent to look for something, find it, and then bring it back to another location, and you walk into said room where that thing is, and I turn into Stevie Wonder, all right? I can't find anything. If I'm supposed to find something and your life depends on it, that's why you go to church, so that when you die, you go to heaven, because I can't find stuff. I also don't see messes, like I, unless it stinks, because for some reason I can smell bad things, not good things, well, I can smell bad things well, but unless it stinks, 
I'm not going to see the mess. I'm not going to see the disaster. And if you send me to find something, you better order it fast on Amazon because I am not coming back with that thing. Uh, this morning we needed something for baptism. And I just thought, you know what? Maybe I'm going to try to find it in our storage container. Maybe it's in my car. No, we had to buy another one because there's no way I'm finding it. That's pulling a Ken in our family is your sense to find something. And there is no way in heaven, earth, Middle Earth, and whatever you want to put in, that I'm going to find it. I'm going to pull a can every single time. And Anna looks at me, and she's never like, good gosh, it's been 14 years. Can you find this thing? It's like, no, I, I understand. You're not my husband who finds stuff. You're my husband who builds stuff and does other stuff with stuff. You're not the one who finds. Jesus doesn't look at us and say, I love you because you do all these things right. Jesus looks at us individually and collectively as the church and says, I love you because of who you are. You are my bride. We are the bride of Christ. We're the ones that Jesus looks at as a church, not individually because as a dude, that is weird. That is flat out weird. I was reading a book once where they're talking about praying for your church and the author wrote like, close your eyes and just picture yourself as a bride. I'm like, nope, done. That, I grew up in the 90s, so I've got a picture of Dennis Rodman in my head right now, which is not good at all. But Jesus looks at us together and he says, I love them. I don't love them because they're able to do everything right. I love them because of who they are. And if you're here and you're, this is like your last chance to give church a chance, I want to let you know right off the bat, we are at 1135, so we're 35 minutes into service. We are completely flawed and sinful people who are trying to find our way back to Jesus. All right, that's who the church is made up as. We are going to disappoint you. We are going to, not intentionally, but things will happen and people will get hurt because as the church, we are all broken people. And Jesus loves us, not because of what we do, but because of who we are as a church. The church is always going to be imperfect because it's made up by humans following a perfect God. We reflect God and we're never going to do it perfectly. We're going to do it imperfectly. But the good news is that Jesus loves the church because of who it is. And in that love, Jesus mobilizes it and empowers it for action. Jesus sends us out for action because the church is supposed to be a trailer for heaven. Right? Church is a trailer for heaven. Solo came out, the new Star Wars movie, a few weeks ago, and leading up to it, there's trailer after trailer to give you a picture of what this movie is supposed to look like. It's not the full two hours that you see in the trailer. You see a little snippet of it. And the way that the church is created, you and me together, is we are supposed to be a trailer to heaven. The only problem is sometimes the trailer doesn't really line up with the movie. Let's take a look at this right now. You know, most people who disappear into the mountains want to be alone. Nobody wants to be alone. Except maybe you. Elsa? It's me! Please! Help! My daughter! Do you want to be a snowman? I recommend we remove all magic. To be safe. Snowman? Elsa, what have you done? Let's have medals, do you? Kill Elsa. Enough!
Yeah, that's totally accurate, right? That's frozen. That's do you want to build a snowman? Totally lines up. No, not at all. Not at all. My kids would pee themselves if they saw that. And as a church, we don't ever want to be that. You know, we want to be a, a church that's a trailer for heaven. We want to be people where people who know us but don't yet know Jesus look at us and are like, okay, they're a trailer to heaven. They give me a picture of what heaven looks like. The book of Acts is the, the story of the first 30 years after Jesus did ministry, died for our sins, rose again to defeat the power of sin, Satan, and the devil, and then ascended back to heaven to leave his people now to carry on the work that he started. It's the first 30 years of that happening. And in Acts chapter 2, we get a picture of, of the first trailer of heaven. We get a picture of the first church. And it gives us a picture of what we're supposed to look like as a trailer for heaven. And it says this in Acts 2, 42. We're going to start out very slowly and then pick up a lot of speed. So like after point three, if you're thinking we will be here till Thursday, not going to happen. So right on, uh, Acts 2, 42, it says this. It says all the believers, Keyword right there is believers. We don't gather here as a church because we want to be together, because we want to go out and do some sort of civic good here. We don't gather here because I convinced you to give up a nice day off to come to the church here. We gather here because we are men and women who have been saved by Jesus. That is what brings us here. That's the base to everything that we do. The backbone to everything is that Jesus died for our sins, that we step into this place being welcomed and invited and saved by our God who gave his own life for us. So it says all the believers, we gather as a church because we believe that Jesus died for us and has life everlasting for us. So this is all the believers. Now we're actually going to go and rewind and do, go farther back in the passage. First word in that is all. The church is a house of salvation where believers gather. It's also a house of, of diversity. In Acts chapter 2, when this was happening, there was a big festival in Jerusalem. So people from all over who speak all sorts of languages came into the city to celebrate the festival. The Holy Spirit is poured out. 3,000 people get saved. And now all of a sudden you've got this from the ground up. Nobody asked for it. It just happened. Diverse church. There's one thing that all of us who are Christians have in common in this room. And that's that Jesus paid for our sins. After that, we get to that point from about five million different places. One of the great things about the kingdom of God, it's a kingdom of people who might have nothing else in common, but have everything shared in common by the fact that Jesus loves us and he saved us from sin. Revelation 5 is a picture of what the end of the world is going to look like. And, and it says that around the throne of God, there's people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation praising God in the language that they speak. And so us as a church, we want to be a reflection of that. We want to be a house of diversity because it reflects God's heart for all people. So it's a house of salvation. It's a house of diversity. It's also a house of worship because right after that, it says all the believers devoted themselves. And we want to be a place of worship. And we don't just worship because it's good to sing. It's great to sing because we're declaring our theology. We're declaring what we believe about God. But we also do this because it's a, it's a vehicle. It's a mode of worship for us. We don't come to church to make ourselves better. We come to worship Jesus and let him work in us. So all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
We're a place of salvation, a place of diversity, a place of worship, and a place of the book. The church, us as a church, we're not run by our own ideas. We're not run by what we think is going to be best for us as a nonprofit or as a business. We run, we're run by what it says in the Bible. We want to live this thing out the best way that we can. We want to follow the way that Jesus lived in every way imaginable, even when it hurts, even when it means that we're going to lose temporarily. We want to follow Jesus in this. We want to submit everything that we do to this. And if Jesus tells us to jump, we're going to say how high. Because we're going to be people who are run by the book, by God's book. And we're also people of prayer. So it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and the sharing of meals, and to prayer. Man, we don't pray just because it helps us feel better. We pray because it invites all-powerful God into our lives to work. And when that happens, we get to see the next thing. Verse 43, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. That means that the God of the universe is going to come into your life and mine. He's going to get involved And he's going to do things that we can't. He's going to bring healing. He's going to bring freedom. He's going to bring deliverance. We might think that this stuff happened in the Bible, but it doesn't happen anymore, and that's not true. We're a church that we want to be built on the fact that God is still a healer, that he puts lives back together. Today, we're going to celebrate baptism. We've got a couple who's going to get baptized, and Alvin is going to come share with us first. He's going to bring Latoya with us, with him, and he's going to share the story about how God's healing power has come in his life. So let's smile, let's be stoked for Alvin and Latoya. And as they're coming up, if you're here, you're out of junior high, you're following Jesus, we'd love for you to get baptized. This is baptism season because you know that the water is going to be really hot because everywhere else is really hot. Uh, If you're interested in getting baptized the second Sunday of July, uh, talk to me or Greg after service. We'll get you locked and loaded for July baptism. So let's give it up. Let's hear from Alvin. Hi, everybody. My name is Alvin. This is my wife, Latoya. 21 years together. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for that. Well, I just want to start off by saying that before I asked Jesus into my heart, my life was a mess. I grew up without my parents. I lived with my grandmother. She took care of me all her life. We didn't grow up with a lot of stuff. And life was very tough. We always went to churches to get free food. At those churches, people would pray for us. I would ask God to help me so that one day I would be able to help my grandmother like she helped me. I prayed that one day my family wouldn't struggle like I did. About four years ago, my family started to experience a loss. This included my grandmother. I realized that I wouldn't be able to help her in the way that I wanted to. My wife and I started to ask the question about what happens after death. We came to a church and someone asked me if I wanted to accept Jesus into my life. I said yes. And someone from that church prayed for me. And then I prayed to receive Jesus. After this, we have seen so much change. We started a foster care business. We, are able to, we was able to purchase our first home as a family. For 11 years, I've experienced what you call intense anxiety and panic disorder, which is agoraphobia. And through that, I used to have a lot of friends that would always come to my house and ask me, hey, Alvin, 
what's up, bro? Do you want to go out and hang out? And I will always think of some kind of excuse of not wanting to go because I will suffer this anxiety for almost, was it like 11, almost 11 years? I would just sit inside the house. I would look out the window. My because I grew up in Berkeley, and my family would come from out of town, the Bay Area, and they would always ask, would we like to go to the beaches? And But my excuse was always, I'm sick, you know, I don't feel well, I don't feel like going. And they would come, and I would try to have my wife to help me think of any excuse that she can to make my family end up coming and leaving. So when they leave, I would always see them pull off, and I would just look out the window like, I wish I can pack my car up and go. With that being said, I end up Getting, going in the room, and I got on my knees, and I just prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. And I've asked the Lord, why am I experiencing this anxiety when I want to get on an elevator or if I get in traffic? And going through a psychologist, I learned it's called flight or fight mode. It's something that you're always in 24-7. And my, she taught me that. And I want to say, since following Jesus, God had healed me from my anxiety. Praise God. And my... And my favorite scripture is Psalms 23 and 4. Even though I walk through the darkness, the valley, you are with me. Your rod, your staff, that comfort me. I like this verse because in the life we live today, we cannot walk in fear. I can put all my trust and cast all my worries on him. Today I'm getting baptized because I want to follow the Lord through the rest of my days. Thank you. Hi, my name is Latoya Batiste. I'm Alvin's wife. Growing up, I always went to church with my mom. At about 11 years old, I accepted Christ. Whenever I was down, I knew that I could call on him. At about this time, my parents split up. But as I went through all... I still had comfort with God. It felt good to know that I had someone to confide in who wouldn't judge me or my family situation. As I got older, I remember praying that if I did get married, I would stay with my family and have a good husband. I prayed that we would work things out and have a secure foundation, and I prayed that I would continue to believe in God and walk with him. Even though I accepted Jesus at 11, when I became an adult, I didn't go to church. There were many years that I didn't go. I started praying that God would bring myself and my family back to church again. I prayed every night that my husband would want to go too. During this time, my family and I began going through a time of loss. One day, my husband decided to walk because the time was so intense. He ended up walking by a church and started talking with a couple of church leaders. That following Sunday, as a family, we started attending church again and have been going ever since. I thank God for answering this prayer for me and my family. Since then, God's blessed us with, and God has blessed us in so many ways, even in ways that we hadn't asked. My favorite verses are Psalms 128 and 3, for I have chosen him so that he would direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. And Proverbs 22 and 6, train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I like Psalms 128 and 3 and Proverbs 22 and 6 because to me, family is very important. If you raise your, your children in Christ, whenever they're in trouble or, in, in, or need someone to talk to and they can't turn to friends or people around them, 
They will have God to comfort, to comfort them. They have God got to guide them back. This has been true in my life, and I want this to be true in my kids' lives. Today, I'm getting baptized because I want to walk more closely with Jesus and be complete in him. It's great to read verses about healing. It's better to hear stories about how God takes somebody who doesn't want to leave home and, and after a few years, now they're on stage public speaking. People say, or the studies say whatever, that people would rather die than stand up on stage based on like your greatest fear. Public speaking is number one, death is number two. So that's what happens when God gets a heart and brings healing into somebody's life. So that's an awesome story. Thank you for sharing today. Uh, last part about what, what the church is supposed to be, a trailer for heaven in, is all around the whole area of generosity. In verse 44, it says, all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So we see generosity here toward mission, generosity towards showing people the, the good heart of God, the welcome of God, the power of God, the love of God, and the provision of God. As a church here, we want to be a church that's generous. We saw that video that's filmed in the TV studio that if you've given to missions at Mountain View, you've helped fund a TV studio in the Islamic world that sends the message of Jesus, literally broadcasts Jesus into a place where he's quote unquote forbidden. Like that's exciting to me that we get to be part of funding that, of funding the Great Commission. And so what Jesus does here is he's, he's creating a people that, that is bent on worship, on prayer, on diversity, on salvation. Now he's sending them into mission. And the church, that's us. We're charged with the mission of proclaiming the whole gospel to the whole person throughout the whole world. This is our job, to be carriers of the good news, going everywhere, telling everyone about who Jesus is and what he's done for us, starting locally and then going wherever God sends us. And this helps figure out so many things for us. And this is what separates us from the rest of the world. Why do Christians love telling people about Jesus? Why do we insist on evangelism and having other people become Christians? Because we know that we were lost and then we were found. And the church is the gathering of people who used to be lost but are now found because our God came and saved us. He stepped into human history, stepped into the world to bring us into a relationship with him. And so our response in that is bringing other people with us is seeing what God did in somebody else, seeing God do that through us into the lives of those who know us who don't yet know Jesus. This makes the ways that we separate from culture and the ways that we do things differently than what culture does around relationships, around sexuality, around finances, this makes all this stuff clear because we're following God. We're not just following what other people are doing. We're living everything, every part of our life to make Jesus look good. And that happens for us individually and as a church, that's the mission that we're charged with is that we're, go, we're to go out to proclaim and live out the whole gospel to every part of our creation and every part of who we are as people, that everything now comes under the umbrella of God's leadership. I think of it this way. When you moved into the house that you live in now, unless you were a baby and you were born there, you brought stuff with you. You arrived and then you had the moving truck coming in behind you. And for us as a church to be people who follow Jesus, that means we're dedicating the whole moving truck, everything else that, that we bring into a relationship with God to Jesus. And say, God, we're gonna live this out in every way. 
We're going to live it out financially. We're going to live it out in spreading the good news in evangelism. We're going to live this out in making difficult decisions to cut things out of our lives that used to be part of us because it runs contradictory to the way that Jesus tells us to live. And as a church, we're charged with seeing this happen in other people's lives. That means sometimes we have to have difficult conversations with people, but we've done it because somebody's had a difficult conversation with us, and we walked into freedom. We walked out of darkness and walked into the light, and as the church, that's our mission. Starting next week, we're ending Live Dead, and we're doing something that's just going to be specific to us here at Mountain View Sunnyside, and that's a series we're calling Unstoppable. All right, we are in escrow on a building that's two miles from here. You can see it if you drive east on Kings Canyon. Right after you cross Fowler, there will be a church uh, on your right-hand side before you get to Bergen. That's going to be our new home we're praying and we're working towards. And so what we're looking at is six areas of our life where we want to be unstoppable, where we want to be unstoppably generous, where we want to be unstoppably faith-filled, where we want to be unstoppable in how we harvest in the next generation. For us as a church, this isn't a stretch. This is how God created us to be. Because when we put our faith and our participation in God's hands, he can do the miraculous. He can take flawed, broken people like you and me, knit them together into a church that's going to change a community. And we're not moving into that place because it's a building. We have a phenomenal building right here. We're moving into that place because it's going to give us a unique ability to meet the needs of this community. That we can put down roots in a seven days a week and not just the seven hours on Sunday way. And we can meet people's needs here in Sunnyside as a community. We're going to get into this a little bit more before we close but this is the heartbeat of the church. This is what's going to make God look good. Not just somebody taking over a building, but seeing God come in and take over lives. As us as a church step in and say, God, we want you to work through us to make a difference in Sunnyside. And as men and women who make up the church, we have two jobs in this. We've got two jobs. The first one of those is to love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything we do is letting God run through us in a new way. And that means that every day as we wake up, the Bible tells us that God's mercies are new to us every day. It's a guy who wrote that who had been through a lot of hard times. The book where it's found is called Lamentations. That's basically like things that, not complaints, but spiritual complaints. And saying, God, this is broken. I want you to come in and fix it. And the, the joy that he finds is that God's mercies for him are new every day. That means when I wake up, there are things new today that weren't there yesterday where God says, Ken, I want this area of your life. You might think this is part of who you are. You might think that this is just the way that you do things. No, 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 man. I want to reach in you and pull you to me in new ways. And so for us as a church, our job is to say, okay, God, everything is yours. The moving truck is yours. I'm stepping into a relationship with you. I'm bringing everything with me to you. So where do you want to work in me today? For us as a church, that's what we do. We give every part of who we are to God as a way of affectionate obedience, saying, God, I'm yours. Use me. And as we do that as a church, we're going to be a church that's equipped for everything because we're going to be completely, radically handed over, sold out, surrendered to God to use us in whatever way he sees fit. And the second thing for us to do is to love our neighbor as ourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is our job as Christians. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Pentecost. We talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, the outpouring of miraculous gifts, stuff like speaking in tongues. Right after that, one of our people uh, posted on Facebook such a great line uh, that we can all remember and laugh at and then apply to our lives where we need it most. 
so that it gets real and it kind of stings a little. But she says, I don't care if you can speak in your tongues if you're a jerk in English. Like, that, that's totally accurate for all of us. If we love God in a way where it never leaves our mouth or leaves our heart or leaves inside of us, man, we get, that's 50%. If you're like cramming for finals, you were last week and you're trying to know exactly how high you need to get so that you don't fail, 50% in most classes, that's still an F, all right? So even if we're nailing the 50%, we're getting a zero on the rest, we get a big F. And what God says is, I want you to take your next step to me today. I know that you're imperfect. I know that together as a church, we are flawed people. But what Jesus wants to do is remind us he doesn't love us for what we do. He loves us for who we are. And he wants to equip us to be men and women empowered to proclaim the whole gospel of Jesus, the whole good news to the whole person throughout the whole world, starting in our homes, starting where we are, and then wherever God takes us. That's the church. That's what's exciting about the church. Are we broken? Do we have sin? Do we have issues? Yes, absolutely. But we also have a God who loves us, a God who wants to work in us, a Jesus who died for us, a Holy Spirit who empowers us to go out and make a difference in our world. And he wants to start with us individually today. Let's stand and pray. Father God, I thank you that you are alive. I thank you that you're merciful, that you're compassionate, that you look at us, you look at the ways that we fail, you look at the things that we can't do, you look at our own version of pulling a Ken, and you say, you make up the church. I don't love you for what you do, I love you for who you are. And so Jesus, individually today, I pray for us that we're gonna be men and women who are gonna take another step forward to following you. And if for you, that first step today is saying, I'm going to begin a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to ask Jesus to come into my life, forgive me of my sins, and change me into a new person from the inside of me to the outside of me. That's the best decision you could ever make, and I want to give you the chance to do that today. You're becoming a Christian. You're not saying you're perfect. You're agreeing with every other Jesus follower in here that all of us are sinners in need of a Savior. If that's you, I'm going to count to three, and when I say three, I just want you to look at me and raise your hand. And you're saying, I'm ready to begin that relationship with Jesus, and I'm ready to do it today. So one, God loves you. Always has, he always will, and today he's calling you to follow him. Two, there are things in all of our lives where we push ourselves away from God. He says, do life one way. We say, I'm doing it in another way. We separate ourselves from God. That separation is called sin, and Jesus came to pay for our sin and end that separation. And three, today's your day to to tell God, all right, that's me. I know I need you. I know I need forgiveness. Come in and forgive me today. And to begin a relationship with Jesus today. If that's you, I just want you to look at me and raise your hand. If you're ready to say yes to Jesus, I want you to look at me and raise your hand. And as we close, someone's gonna pray with you. It'll be the best decision you could ever make. Is there anyone like that where today's your day to say yes to Jesus? If that's you, I just want you to look at me and raise your hand. And as we close, someone will pray with you. All right, for the rest of us, We've got two jobs. Love God with everything. Love our neighbor as ourself. And so I want us as a church, as individuals, to take the next step forward in that. We're not trying to fix everything today. We're saying, God, I want to do one thing more, to love you more, to love my neighbor as myself today. I want to do one part of my job better today. And so whatever God's put on your heart, I want us to come forward, come up to the front. You can sit, you can stand, and you can kneel. You can say, this is really, really weird. Yeah, but it's a step of humility. And when we humble ourselves, we draw near to God. 
who's saying, God, I want you to work in my life in this area. Whatever that next step is for you, let's come, let's commit it to the Lord, and let's walk out with power as, the, as sons and daughters of the God who loves us. Let's worship and respond.